Good day there, guys, and welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast. After a bit of a hiatus, to say the least, uh, I am one of your hosts, if you can remember me, Zach Clark, and joined by your other co-host, Brendan Tam. Brendan, oh, how's it been? It's been a couple months. Yeah, I think episode 13 turned out to be cursed, as the number suggests, but we're back after a three-month hiatus, and I think we're both glad to be back, and we're ready to dive back into building the podcast and discussing interesting topics and our thoughts around them and experiences around them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, wouldn't be a podcast without some hiatuses and delays, <laughs> at least from my experience <laughs> as an avid podcast listener. Oh, we'll just call it season two and we can sort of play off that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. 2021, first recording session of the year, new year, new vibes, uh, hopefully, hopefully a more positive one than 2020 we'll see so yeah it's exciting to be back and exciting to tackle some video game discussion topics so obviously last time we recouped uh, 2020 feels like forever ago for us but you might have only listened to that a couple of weeks ago but now we're going to hit fresh with some hard-hitting topics that we we are known to touch from time to time we've picked what is a i think a topical topic you know as of march you know 2021 but also one that is is quite quite important i'd say and also quite can be controversial depending on how you want to take it uh and that's talking about separating the the game from the game maker or developer or person who's funded the game you know or you know to use the more generic phrase separating the art from the artist which is getting a lot of play and a lot of discussion i'd say more and more every passing week as you know, we discover various issues from whether it be bad labor practices to just morally questionable people doing things that happen to also be senior developers on a game to just all sorts of things. And we just thought we wanted to chime in, sort of explore what is going through a lot of people's minds is, should I play this game, which is by all accounts a good game, if I have an issue with somebody on the side of the who created it i don't know brendan is there any sort of preamble or warning you want to give before we go into the to this this you know quite meaty topic i think i'd just echo what you just said because if you look throughout society at all facets the last 10 20 years you've had a rise in or what's commonly called ethical consumers you have people very much interested and aware of the aspects around the creation of or basically consumer goods, what they consume. They'll, people be concerned about, well, where does their food come from? Are the eggs they cook their omelettes with free range? Was their shirt they're wearing on their back made using slave labour in Bangladesh? Or all manner of different things ranging to, I think, just indicative of the fact that multinational conglomerates very much dominate supply chains around the world and you get all those dynamics that people are becoming more concerned with. And I think it's very much a more recent occurrence that it is tying directly into more creative endeavours and into video games as well. And we'll really dive into it, I'm sure, in the next hour or so. But I think in the last five, ten years, there's also very much been an increase in our awareness of who creates games and especially with the rise of indie development, 
there's more public faces of game developers. And I think just mirroring other trends in society, there's been more and more of a interest in what people's thoughts are on particular issues that might not necessarily have anything to do with their creations. And I think just, I guess, to add a preamble is that we're, I don't think either of us are going to say anything incendiary or controversial. We're very much as interested in diving into the phenomenon and just discussing the status quo and some of the implications that are being created through it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. I mean, I think we do hold some views on certain topics and we'll have, we may oh, of express course. some of them, um, but in- we're not robots, unfortunately. That would be awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, ro- you know, it'd be great to be a, 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 a robot that just knows the right thing to do all the time and <laughs> be the sole guidance for that for society, but we're not. But I think it's more just really looking at some of the, the back and forth rebuttal and some of the complexities. Because uh, I think to what your point, Brendan, it's very, certain things are simple or relatively simple, right? Nike previously using questionable slave labor from children to make shoes. Fairly black and white. They're good shoes, but they're made by kids who are, or were made by kids who were um, not being paid uh, in the past. Uh, I think a pretty easy side to decide where you, you land on that and, and how to sort of push Nike or other companies of that nature in the past to move to more ethical practices. Sort of similar, you know, if we look at something like a music or you know, famous artists or novelists, where it's more of an individual effort. And if that person, again, does something that you're morally against, it's a, it's a, little, a lot easier to go, I just won't support that person. Video games come in all sorts of shapes, all sorts of sizes, made by all sorts of people and sizes of teams from you know one to, to hundreds. And the benefit, I guess, of, of a game succeeding you know, financially and critically can be dispersed in quite different ways. You know, it might go to, to the developers directly. It might go to a publisher. It might go to license holders in the case of, you know, people who own the rights to, uh, say, like a Star Wars or whatever, and they, they license it out to another company, but they take a, a chunk of change. And so there's just a lot to really delve into and explore, which let's get started. And first off, I think let's start when it comes to labor practices because that's been a pretty hot topic i think particularly last year for good and bad as we start to see a lot more pushback on crunch which we've talked a little bit about before right certain companies hung their hat on being a no crunch culture business and maybe had to renege on some of those claims and say say cd project red and cyberpunk but it's it's a topic that's continued to get more and more into the eyes of the media uh, and, and the consumer and deciding what to support and what not to support. And it's a pretty interesting one to look at because when we think about crunch and what games we loved throughout history that were made under crunch conditions, it's probably like most of them, right? Like particularly in the past when we didn't really have the exposure or the level of uh, transparency that we're getting through, you know, journalists sort of uncovering these these systemic issues in the in the industry, we've probably all played a lot of games that were made with a lot of very tiring overtime sort of hours by by people all across the world. Well, exactly. It, it's inescapable, and it's similar to we touched upon it in a previous episode. It's no different to any other industry. It'd be like saying that I'm not going to use a tax accountant because tax accountants have to crunch during the end of financial year and. That's bad. I think, yes, there's 
negative elements surrounding it, but it's ultimately a fact of life that there are certain industries, nearly every industry, where there's periods of time that it's going to be intense amounts of work in a short period of time. And it's all just, it sort of goes beyond the consumer level. It very much, if it very much goes the society level of, well, it all comes down to what are the labor practices in a particular country. And if people are extremely against said labor practices, well, they need to get involved in political action or get involved in local and state and federal government and try to exert change on that level. Yes, it's very hard and tiring, but I think, yes, you can try to target particular companies and try to get them to change their practices and that that can be done in capitalist societies. But I think as a whole, it goes down to society, culture and the industry as a whole. And I think when I think about crunching games, I always go back to the example of indie developers. There's numerous cases of one-man indie teams that they'll give interviews where they talk about the immense strain on their life that developing their game had on them and the toll it took. A primary example of that is for Stardew Valley. If you read his account of developing that game, like it was a tough slog and basically he focused his life for a couple of years on it. But we don't consider that crunch. People consider that sort of oh, an artist dedicating his life to a particular project and then succeeding and then benefiting from that success. So I've always found that dynamic very interesting, that we're able to, in the same breath, say, oh, indie developer, great guy, like made an amazing game as a one-man team and then say, oh, the 20-man team that had crunch at the end of their project, that's bad, we can't allow that. Yeah, that's very true. There's a certain romanticization. I don't know if that's the right word, but you get what I mean. Um, oh, I think so. I, I think that's a good apt term, actually. Yeah, like, and I, I think that's present in a lot of, um, a lot of careers and, and particularly creative ones where pouring your life and soul into a project can be seen as quite admirable. We've definitely, over the, the many decades, built that sort of expectation up. And I think only more recently are we starting to to an extent, try and push against that mentality and sort of push for, you know, healthy work-life balances and mental health in general. It's the old artist suffering for his craft narrative. Yeah, 100%. And I think in some ways, though, it's easier to excuse, it's, you know, again, like a soul or a small indie team who have equal share in what is effectively the company because to use some, some more investy financy terms, they're effectively putting in what we call sweat equity, right? Like they're building up their their company, their game, that will effectively be the linchpin of their company, I suppose. And so they just reap all the upside, right? Like there's no doubt that like, I don't know their name, I forget it, but the creator of Stardew Valley has, has reaped all the reward by basically making that game on his own. But he's now swimming in cash, which he's putting towards other projects and living, I think, from what I understand, a quite comfortable life. You know, a, a more public example would of course be the semi-infamous now uh, Notch, who obviously made Minecraft uh, and, and sold it for, <laughs> for quite a lot of money. And now has all these mansions around the world and plays Quake yes, constantly. Goes to Ibiza and gets just really high on drugs and questions his life choices, from what I gather on Twitter. Um, that's a really obvious example of how, hey, if you make the game, you reap pretty much all the rewards, right? Like by the time he sold it, there were employees of Mojang and I, I no doubt some of them got 
some benefit from the sale, um, though legally they didn't have to, right? Like if he absolutely could have, and may- maybe he did, he sell his shares and any other shareholders' shares to Microsoft and get all the cash and any one that's just a salaried employee of the company is just like, well, see you later. <laughs> Hopefully Microsoft keeps you employed and pays you well, um, which I, you know, from all accounts they seem to have uh, kept Mojang together quite well. But it's just sort of like, I guess the point I'm saying is when it's your business, when it's it's your asset that you're growing, I think it's a lot easier to justify morally seeing someone put those man hours in, right? As opposed to if you're just an employee getting told you should be putting in as much hours as me, the owner, it's it's a bit of a harder pill to swallow, right? It'd be like a, a cafe owner saying that um, all their employees have to work 24-7 in the same nature that the owner themselves does, which no doubt there are some cafe owners that do, but you wouldn't think that's fair or reasonable in society, or at least I don't think modern society would. But then the question comes for us is how do we choose or do we choose to support or not support those companies that do, I guess, practice and don't try to mitigate crunch? Because unlike, say, again, a cafe owner where I can get my chili scrambled eggs from this one or I can walk 20 (laughs) meters down the road and get a, a, a probably just as good chili scrambled eggs from a more ethical cafe, games are unique for the most part. Sure, there might be other games in the same genre or have similarities, but there's only one, you know, Stardew Valley. There's only one Minecraft. And if I like that and I want to play it, is the fact it was made under crunch conditions enough to dissuade me to not purchase it? And I'm going to be honest, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I'm there that I'd be willing to pass up a, a 10 out of 10 game in my eyes purely over crunch, as, as bad as that may be to say. The issue I have is that what's the standard of proof? How do we know that a ga- one game is made in crunch and another one isn't? It always comes down to insider information and particular people on the team speaking out, which it won't happen on every project that is subject to crunch because I think the sad reality is that it, it's an industry standard. So we'll hear stories when it's very bad and we'll hear stories in the case of CD Project Red where they backflipped on their word. But I think it's very difficult to say, well, this game, we haven't heard anything about it being crunch, being made in crunch conditions. So therefore, it must have been made on what standard working hours. And mm. then I guess the then the other side of the coin is, well, Zach, how do you determine what's crunch conditions and what's just sort of, I guess, extended working hours during a busy period? Where do you draw the line if, for example, I think there's some cases where people sort of sleep in offices and work insane hours and barely go home or if they're working sort of an extra 10 hours a week, like which one's crunch? Like at what point does it become crunch? Yeah, it's a really, it's hard to say because I think you're right. You know, it's not apples and apples we're dealing with when it talks crunch at one studio versus crunch at another. Uh, And it might even just vary by the individual, right? Like some people are very strict. They're like, I do my nine to five. If you ask me to stay an extra minute longer, you're either paying me or it's, it's you know, it's crunch. Uh, and I'm not saying that's necessarily the wrong stance to have, but it's definitely one extreme compared to other people who are a bit more like, I get my job done. In some weeks, that means I have to work a little bit longer. Other weeks, I can be a bit more laid back and, and 
take a, a long lunch or, uh, you know, clock off early on a Friday. But does that mean the times when they do the slightly extended hours, is that crunch or is that, as you said, is that just part of their normal operating rhythm? Probably also doesn't help that, you know, as we learn through work is that the, the standard nine to five, 40 hour week doesn't really work for every human being. And more and more we're seeing people who like want to do compressed work weeks or things like that because they, they can find themselves work a really efficient 12 to 14 hour day but they just only want to do three of them or four of them a week and get an extra day off. And that works well for them. But, you know, it's hard to have bespoke arrangements for every single employee, particularly if you're a massive company, right? And and also having to, again, if you're in a big team, you have to sort of manage your workflow alongside everybody else. Like if you're the, the concept artist who needs to feed, you know, the next stage of the actual in-game artists to, to do their piece, um, you can't necessarily work to your own rhythm, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because there's so many other people depending on you finishing your task at a, at a certain point so they can start their task. There's jobs that many people are in where there's just the expectation that, yes, you have set working hours, but if you have a project or a task to complete in a certain deadline, well, you need to get it done. That might involve working overtime. Yeah. That might involve, well, one of the dangers that have been created by working from home is that most offices and most businesses now supply laptops and the ability for the staff to work from home. So there's less and less of a separation between the office and home. So you can take your laptop home and do, oh, I'm going to do an extra couple of hours at home to get ahead or, oh, this deadline's coming up. I really need to get on top of it. I'm mm. going to do an, I'm going to work the entire evening. And it's very easy to fall into the trap. And I think another aspect of it is I don't want to buy into stereotypes, but I think the people who create video games are generally more of your creative types. And in my experience, a lot of them are more inclined to get very invested into a project, very invested into a task they're completing, and they'll almost be willing to go that extra mile or not not even go that extra mile, just continuously working on that project and wanting to refine it and wanting to keep on making it better and better. And I think that's part of the, one of the pitfalls of game development is that there's always that desire to, oh, we can make this better. We can make this bigger. We can add this feature. We can add, improve the UI. We can improve the AI and you quickly snowball a project. That's why I think a lot of video games just lack good project management and a project that at the onset, oh, we can finish this in two years or 18 months and we're going to do this, this, and this can quickly blow out. Yeah, it is very true. I mean, you sort of talk a lot about that project creep kind of thing. Uh, I even remember um, maybe the second or the third packs, there was a Q&A panel with just a bunch of indie devs. And I, I sort of said to them, like, how do you know when it's time to stop? Like, how do you know when you've done all you can do on your current game and it's ready to move on and i think only one of them gave me an answer the rest were like what do you mean stop like what do you mean move on kind of thing like they themselves had no clear line in the sand of when okay like it's not perfect it never will be perfect i need to move on they were like because because it was also to do with the fact that you know games these days don't just ship they they ship and then you can add patches forever um, so it's a lot easier to just perpetually work on one game. 
we spoke about that with Mess, and he was very much along that lines of, yes, there's a benefit to it, but there's also that pitfall. Mm. And you see it with, oh, what's, I think it's Eric Barron is a star, Stew Valley guy. Mm. His studio is called Concerned Ape. But anyway, I know from interviews that he got burnt out on Stardew Valley because it's sort of constantly, oh, I promise all these updates, I promise multiplayer. And it's released, what, four years ago and there's still updates going into it. The multiplayer is a recent addition in the last 12 months. It's not necessarily a good thing that there's no end point. Mm. And the developers themselves recognise that. Take it back a step to, to our original topic of when should or shouldn't we support crunch games that are there have been evidenced, I guess, to be made with some crunch conditions. I think where I sort of lean for, what I want to push for, and I, and I think most people will, it's, it's trying to like standardize and make things more transparent. I think it'd be what I'd like to see. Like learn what best practice is and sort of see more companies commit to and, and put out some sort of accountability around that. I think that would go a long way. If you know, I if there was a set of very clear and obvious guidelines on what conditions a game should or shouldn't be made under, and sort of at least with the bigger companies seeing more and more of them sign up to something like that, I think it'd be very easy for me to say, well, well these ten big massive companies have signed up on it, but this eleventh one hasn't. I don't know if I feel comfortable going with games made by that eleventh company, knowing they're not willing to commit to i won't say no crunch but i just think the right conditions for it you know whether that's overtime pay or appropriate mental health packages and that kind of thing to to help with managing it that's when i think i'd be a bit more inclined to make more hard decisions on what games and companies i don't want to support anymore because of of crunch culture yeah i guess i don't want to say that crunch is a positive thing but i think if you think of the business side of game development, there is definitely that cost-benefit analysis to it in that you look at a studio like Ubisoft and there's no real allegations against Ubisoft or Crunch because, well, they have 600 people working on their games and, like, your Assassin's Creed, Valhalla, if you go to the credits, the credits will be extremely long because you'll probably have about at least three, four internal studios working on it, then you'll have entire teams of well, quality testers and localizers and marketers and HR people and all manner of staff. But not all studios, not all publishers, not all developers are able to get to that scale just from a fiscal point of view. They'd go bankrupt or the nature of their project changes entirely because Instead of, oh, we can make a success by selling half a million copies or a million copies, it's now the Ubisoft level of things of, well, if this game doesn't sell five million copies, well, we're in trouble. Mm. I think that is another aspect of it, that it's there's ultimately no easy solution, I don't think. Like, yes, in an ideal world, we... Well, not even in an ideal world. In, in the world in general, people shouldn't have to... People shouldn't have to be party to inhumane working conditions. I think that is definitely the line we should draw. I think when there's cases of developers at studios willing to speak out and talk about, yeah, we're forced to work 16-hour days, like, months straight, and we're threatened to get fired if we don't do it, and there's a lot of coercion involved, then 
yes, I think that's all, that that is legitimate ground to then consider. Do I really want to buy this game? Do I really want to, I guess, reward the developer, well, the publishers and the upper management of the studio that clearly mismanaged the management of the game? I think that I can personally, if if there's particular cases where that is absolutely blatant, I think I can see myself being a bit partial to considering well. Mm. There's definitely legitimate sort of mass consumer action that can be effective, and I guess you've you've seen it against um well not against but you've seen it in the case of Rockstar. Rockstar's made some public statements about their labour practices. Whether they actually going to change them or not is yet to be seen. But consumer outcry can make a difference, and Rockstar is a case where it only became known because a lot of staff there spoke out about it. And I think. There's one point there I actually want to sort of flesh out a little bit, which is actually, as you said, the, I guess, mismanagement by the the upper management of the publisher, studio, whatever it might be. And that's something I want to discuss a little bit, because if you say you are choosing to, to boycott a game over this issue or any other issue, really, a lot of people come and say, don't punish the team of, you know, 100 people because of the actions of one person. But... It is interesting because when you actually think about it, now, that, that team, like if you think about how they're paid, they probably get a salary. And so they've sort of been paid consistently throughout the development. The sales of the game may affect their bonus or any bonuses they're entitled to. And, you know, not, I imagine not everyone in a team is entitled to a, a bonus or it would be a varying sort of amounts and percentages depending on the company. So, you know, by, by boycotting a game and it failing, that's probably the extent that you will affect them. There's a reputation aspect to it. There, There is. I guess all I was going to say, though, was more so if you do choose to boycott something and because your goal is to hit the owner, that is probably valid because I think they're the ones that have the most to gain or lose. Because even, as you said, reputation, Brendan, that to me is the company, right? Like if I hear... CD Project Red use Crunch. That's the CD Project Red brand's name, and some of their managers and lead, lead devs who get their names in the in the articles, their reputation is hit, and they're the ones that deserve, I guess, the hit. But the other hundred people, I don't actually know their names. I could go through the credits and find it out, but I, how many people actively know them, and are likely to avoid games with their names? And I'd say it's probably minimal. And similar, I don't know how many companies are going to choose to not hire staff that by all accounts seem talented, but perhaps we just found themselves caught up in a toxic workplace. So I guess all I was trying to say is I don't know if the um, argument of don't buy the game because you hurt the the core team is necessarily valid, other than, of course, it's, yeah, it's great to put in your resume, I met, worked on a game that sold... 5 million copies rather than a game that sold 3 or 4, I suppose, given boycotts aren't seemingly that effective in in any event. Yeah, what would you rather say in your CV, that you worked on Grand Theft Auto 5 or that you worked on, I don't know, My Little Pony Simulator (laughs) number 5? Yeah. What would you want to put on there? I I know what I'd put on my CV. Yeah, I I do agree. You're not not wrong. Um, I think that's how people get trapped in the conditions, ultimately, that... They want to work at those prestigious studios working on prestigious IP. And 
they are willing to make sacrifices to do that. And there's definitely potential there for exploitation. I think that's a sad reality. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I, I haven't read an article about it in a long time. I think it's a fairly well-known fact that if you are a software engineer or a writer or a whatever in games, QA, you probably get paid at least 10 to 15% less than doing the same job for a generic software app or a bank or mm. whatever it might be. Because of that exploitation in passion for the product, I suppose, as opposed to you know, someone who's just making a an app that trades Bitcoin because <laughs> it's a job. <laughs> I need to be able to trade Meowth coin now, Zach. It's going to go back up. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Taking a step back to what we just discussed and talking about individuals in a particular studio, mm. I think in recent times it's becoming more and more effective if particular people in a studio or publisher make public statements that are divisive or controversial or let's not beat around the bush. If they make any political statements of any sorts, there's quickly vocal portions of the internet, vocal portions of the gaming community that become very hostile to that particular developer and by extension their studio. So I think it's very similar to how... Do, do you crucify an entire company for the voice of one? And I guess, do you do that if it's the president of the company, if it's a project leader of a game, or if it's just a voice actor? Like, where do you draw the line? And in that case, would you say, oh, yeah, boycott it because I don't disagree agree with it? And I think there's entirely a case to make. If, if you personally feel that something is against your worldview or your inherent values, then yes, don't support it, like, I think that's clear cut. I'm not, there's no one that's going to go around saying, oh, you have to support this because it's a fantastic game, buy it and play it. If, if you have concerns about it, then I think that's legit, entirely legitimate. But I guess what point does it morph into, I need to go online and tear down this company and everyone around it because they are evil people in my point of view. Like There's two aspects of this. Of can you, Can you, I guess isolate an individual from a company and what's the difference between I'm just not going to have anything to do with it or I'm going to I want to lead a charge against this particular individual or company yeah it's it's a real tricky one like in some ways I mean stick to the simple one first clear cut when it's a small studio or a small company right like if you're a one-man team and it comes out that you I don't know you go to the playground and steal kids lollipops and then punch them in the face. I'm not going to buy a game and you're the, you know, it's just clear, like easy. It's like the Fez example. I thought he was, yeah. a, he, he was a bit of a douchebag from his comments he made in that documentary. So I didn't buy Fez. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people are having some backlash on Jonathan Blow uh, as well recently. I uh, haven't quite delved deep into why yet. Interesting character as well. And, and again, very easy, clear cut one person, for the most part, makes all or most of the money easy decision. If you're morally against whatever it is that they've done, don't support them. But as you said, it's complex when it's a bigger company, right? Because then not only do you have to factor in the severity of what it is they've done or said, but you've got to then factor it into, well, how does that proportionally, like, what are they in this whole picture, right? Like, are they 1% of the company? Are they... Are they 100%? Does that, are you calculating that on just a per human involved basis versus a you know monetary gain from 
a sale basis. It's it's a real complex web because like I work you know for a largest organization. If if one person, even a relatively senior person, came out and said something controversial, I would know that doesn't reflect on me or my views. I'm I'm just doing my job. But people in the community might say, "Oh, you work you work where you work." Like the X person said this. Like you must be terrible by association. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think, you know, it's one of those things that when it's not us, it's very easy to make those claims. Like, how can you support a culture that let this person be employed and and work there and rise to potentially again a, a higher position? But it's a lot easier said than done, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. We're all living our lives trying to get by. It's very easy to just tell someone to quit uh, over such matters, but how many people could just up and leave their jobs tomorrow, right? Because <laughs> they have families, mortgages, responsibilities. It's it's not always an easy decision to make. No, and I'm sure there are some people who are listening to this and saying, no, you guys are just self-centered and it is absolutely an easy decision to make and you're entitled to that opinion. But I think... You're better people than we are. Yeah, you're better, much stronger in your convictions and I admire that. I think, yeah, just don't judge too harshly. Again, particularly as, as Brendan pointed out, anyone that's got family, you know, those those decisions aren't just about yourself anymore. They're about a lot of people. Yeah, well, by a lot, I mean your, your partner and, and anyone else that's dependent on you, I suppose. And then there's other considerations like where, what country is the studio in? Is there actually other job opportunities and all manner of things? Yeah, and I guess that that also brings the other aspect of well, you you are talking about different. It's a global industry. You're talking about different societies, different cultures, different values. So there's that tricky proposition to fit into the puzzle as well. Yeah, and then again, it's interesting. Like we just quickly on culture to see how wildly different one culture reacts to certain issues to the other. Right, like you know, I, I'm just going to use Japan because it's again a prominent video game country or producing country like uh what's the game not the yakuza game judgment judgment or judge eyes in japan had that controversy where one of the the voice actors or or and motion capture actors i should say uh got caught with weed i think or something yeah, marijuana like, yeah he was also olaf in kingdom hearts yeah he's Fun done factors but yeah the way japan treats drugs is is very severe it's like literally cancel culture to the max like that next day this this actor and singer who has cds and movies and everything anything with his involvement was pulled off store shelves and, and basically destroyed uh in judgment's case they basically had to re-record and re-motion cap with a new actor which which is what the version we got in the west but on the flip side you got something like Reunion Kenshin, which is a you know, famous uh, manga anime author, mangaka, convicted pedophile, gets a few months in prison and now just goes about his business continuing to write the um, comic and go you know collect a good royalty for sales of merchandise and it doesn't stop. Flip side. Composer and part owner of Dragon Quest is uh, well, World War II revisionist as well. So there's yeah. all manner of things like that. Exactly, and and on the flip side, you know, even in Western culture, we have stuff like famous musicians or artists who are, I don't know if it's alleged or convicted, but they've definitely been privy to some crimes of, of you know, beating people like spouses and, 
and whatnot and continue to have very successful careers. Other things, on the flip side, less tolerated. And, uh, you know, again, I think, for, yeah, as I said, pedophilia, not very tolerated in the West. Very much a cancelable crime if you did that. And I th- I personally think rightly so. I'm sure you, ag- you agree. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Though I think an interesting point to mention is that I think some of the outrageous behaviour, and a lot of it is borderline illegal or out- outwardly illegal, it's sort of accepted from creative types because there's that old stereotype of, oh, you have the libertine artist or poet or the like that live a destitute life but creates, well, basically beautiful or fantastic artistic works. And if you look at the last, well, easily last two, three hundred years, even longer, like you see countless examples of that and societies that were deeply more conservative than our current one still saw beauty in their work even if they they would have disproved of their lifestyles or disproved of their actions so i think yes there's limits like you mentioned i think we can all agree that well we can all agree that pedophilia is a heinous crime but i think there's definitely so there's definitely a hard limit but i think there's a lot more leeway than there would be for other people if you know what i mean yeah i i do i do and to take it back to sort of people who either whether it's just through expressing views or uh, actually doing actions of, of morally questionable nature um, you know, like Ubisoft uh, has a lot of allegations last year of people being abusive various levels of abuse and then as you said how do you proportion your decision to, get, to say by Assassin's Creed Valhalla or a Immortals Phoenix Rising last year, knowing that there were at least, say, six or seven people with allegations against them, whether those turn out to be true or not, we'll find out. But again, when there's that much smoke, there's got to be at least a little bit of fire versus, as you said, teams of 600 or so making these games and probably a good portion of them are not bad people, uh, I, I would like to think. I think that you have to think the majority of the people at the end of the day, well, they're just doing their jobs. Yeah, and they, they probably live fairly unremarkable lives, <laughs> in a sense, not doing exactly. much harm to anyone. And it's hard, because, like, on one hand, it's like, do you support this company that has clearly had a cultural issue in creating an environment that, I guess, allowed for such behavior to happen, uh, whether it was knowingly or unknowingly, is, I guess, still up for debate. Or do you just accept, look, it sucks. <laughs> I don't really want that individual supported. But luckily, I think in that case, most of them got fired or they chose to leave on, on the grounds of, of what was being acu- they're accused of, I suppose. So they won't benefit much going forward. And their reputation is utterly trashed. Yeah. So there's that part of it as well. So they definitely had their comeuppance. And so can you sort of continue to support the game saying well this still supports the rest of the people who were i guess to an extent involved in that they may or may not have been party or witnessed this stuff and not done enough to act early enough but even that's probably only a small percentage of people at the company when it particularly when it's global and you're quickly falling in conjecture and he say at that point as well which i think is dangerous territory yeah yeah exactly you're just assuming a lot in terms of which you might be right yes but it's all assumptions. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of interesting. Like, this whole um, 
cancel culture concept it's it sort of <laughs> takes what the courts are meant to do in some regards but um it's it's it all in the court of public opinion which is way more fickle and way more variable in its outcomes uh, not to say the actual court system is perfect by any means but um we all tend to pass some sort of judgment and punishment again much like an actual court objection as phoenix right <laughs> would say no i don't have an objection but i do have an interesting point to well not a point but i do have an interesting i guess case study to mention in that i was thinking about it when you mentioned this topic earlier today and a game that came up was to in my mind was Kinders of Amalur Reckoning, mm. which, well, basically back in the day was made by Kurt Schilling Studios. I think it was it was thirty six cans or not cans, but named after the number he wore when he played baseball. And well, at the time, sort of he wasn't that controversial of a figure, sort of just an outspoken sports star who mismanaged a company and basically. In the end, I think basically used millions of Rhode Island's money that they gave him in funding and just went bankrupt and and the state was going, taking him to court and trying to recover losses. But since then, he's become quite a vocal supporter of Donald Trump and all in that sort of fringes of the far-right American political scene. But that game was re-released the other about six months ago. You didn't really hear anything from anyone on the internet or in the gaming community saying, oh, you shouldn't play Kinders of Amalur Reckoning because initially, well, it was formerly owned by Kurt Schilling and he was indirectly involved in the development. So I think that it's an interesting proposition that, like you said, it can be fickle. It can be, it can sort of rise up and sometimes things will fly by the radar and it's, Mm. there's no real science to it. Like in some cases, There'll be a lot of outrage. In other cases, it's like, oh, no, well, that happened years ago. He's not involved in the re-release. It's owned by THQ Nordic now, and we're boycotting THQ Nordic anyway because some of their marketing team went on 8chan (laughs) and did um, Mm. AMA, and that was bad, which, yeah, I I still don't know why anyone would want to go on 8chan and do an AMA, but I guess each their own. Hashtag edgy marketing. That's why our podcast is live on OnlyFans, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, where you can see us both nude while we speak. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. Just shut that no. down quickly. Um, fine. No. Look, I'm just trying to make us successful here. And you're, you're, you're putting in my, just rejecting me, hurting my feelings. If you give me a bigger cut, Zach, then like we can talk about this offline. Okay. We'll, we'll take it off, off air. But yeah, no, that's a really good point because Kingdom of Amalur, you're right. Like that game, I knew there was absurdity to its existence. Uh, let's put it as, uh, that way. Baseball player who says he liked WoW and wanted to make a WoW killer, I think is absurd in its In its own right, yeah. But I definitely didn't know much about his political uh, or any other views, if I'm being honest with you. Um, and as you said, most of what I heard when that re-release came out was like, Oh yeah, Kings of Avalor, that really like underappreciated, really good RPG from whatever year it came out. People should give this a crack. And even when it came out, originally I, I remember a lot of people being like, don't sleep on this game. Like why it exists, it's weird, but it's still good. Which again is a really good example of like bad, well, I don't know if I'll call him a bad person because again, I, I just don't know enough of the situation. But I think we have other evidence that bad people can make good things. Maybe taking the strand of the conversation, it's 
not necessarily about good and bad, because I think one of the issues and why it's such a complicated and difficult to traverse topic is that, well, in a lot of cases, it's purely, well, I disagree with this person's political values because my ideology or my values or my world outlook is different. That can be a very objective thing in that, yes, there'll be certain statements and certain acts that will have broad agreement across the spectrum of, oh, that's a bad thing to say or that's an abhorrent view or action to take. But Mm. there'll be issues and there'll be particular events where I guess as we become more and more polarised as a society that there'll be one half of people that say, oh, no, that's fine, like that's a legitimate thing to say or think, and you have another half of the room that says, oh, no, that's that's the worst thing you could say ever, like that is absolutely appalling. It's, it makes it even trickier. Yeah, I mean, like a really prominent example that touches games but also is, I guess, broadly touching pop culture and and media in general is obviously the jk rowling controversy um of her uh viewpoints being transphobic and a lot of people grappling now with the decision to support a franchise that people are really passionate about right and and people in circles that i think are quite sensitive to transphobia have loved harry potter for years as a brand, as a world to escape in with magic and that kind of stuff. And now they, they've got to decide on giving up this this magical world. They love this franchise, books, movies, and, you know, games, like Hogwarts Legacy that's that's coming out. Or trying just to, I guess, mentally disassociate the fact that this world they love is, is made by someone that they no longer want to support. And it's it's a... And it's an interesting one because it's like, I'm sure there are people out there who take quite extreme views and say, if you buy a Harry Potter product, you are transphobic because you're supporting JK Rowling. But on the flip side, there's a lot of people who are probably just like, I buy Wizard Game and watch Wizard go on broom and laugh. Like, you know, they just, they're just they just trying to have fun. They don't they need to be aware of um, the controversy because not everyone's in tune with all that stuff online to say it to the same degree. And I think it's a very dangerous, how do I put it to, to use it, as you said, it's quite polarizing, but I think it's, it's quite dangerous to like make such extreme assumptions of someone based on such a relatively simple decision, right? Like we have to, I think, accept that not everyone is putting a lot of moral thought into purchasing of games or other media like that. A lot of people are just simply assessing it on face value of, is this good? <laughs> like, is this a good product? Is this a good game? And if the answer is yes, they're just going to be like, well, I'm going to buy it and play it. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's one of my issues with moralizing in general in that, I guess, it's entirely within your rights to decide, well, I think JK Rowling is, a, or is transphobic. Therefore, I think everything to do with her property, Harry Potter is tainted and I'm not going to be party to it. I'm not going to purchase anything. I'm going to burn my copies of the books and all my merchandise and basically cut myself off from something I once loved. And that's legitimate. I think anyone can say, well, fair enough. If you think, if you feel that strongly about that, good on you, you're taking good action. But I think the issue stems from when people decide that, oh, we need to 
mobilize. We need to crush it. We need to crush everyone that doesn't agree with us. And we need to heckle people that, oh, you, you bought, you went to watch a Harry Potter movie or you, you bought Hogwarts legacy. You must be condoning transphobia as you inferred. I think that's the issue I have in that. Well, my view of it, I, I think we'll probably discuss it in the next phase of this discussion. I've boycotted things. I'm currently boycotting a particular publisher, but I'm not going to force other people to do it. It's entirely my own decision to do that. I'm not going to force my friends to do it. I'm not going to go on the internet and tell people that they're condoning a murderous regime and condoning the suppression of free speech for buying particular gains made by the publisher. It's just, it's my personal decision. It's my personal, I guess, activism in a way. I, I don't necessarily, I'd like if other people agree with me and think, oh, you're gra- you're, you're doing the right thing, Brendan, I'm going to do it too. But it's not a necessity. And I think it's, it's like forcing people to believe a particular ideology or religion or whatnot. You're not, if you try to force people and heckle them into doing it, they, they won't be true believers. They, they won't really believe in it. They won't really contribute much because you're, at the end of the day, you're just coercing them into mm. doing it. And coercion isn't a positive thing. I agree. And I think maybe given how, how much you alluded to it, it's probably not a bad point to, to segue into your example. Cause I mean, I, I come from a position where I'm just trying to think, but to date I haven't had to make a tough choice. Like there are definitely games I wouldn't support, but they're not games I actually even wanted to play. Right. Like, um, mm. what was that game? Hatred or whatever, a few years ago that was, um, yeah, yeah. Hatred. Yeah. I, I don't want to support that morally, but also it didn't look like a good game. So I don't, didn't lose any sleep at night. But, you know, the games I do really like playing and really enjoy, I've yet to have a controversy come up that's that I've had to tackle with yet. Um, I mean, if anything, the Harry Potter thing is probably the closest. Uh, and even then, I'm not like a... There are Harry Potter fans, and then there are Harry Potter fans, and I'm, I'm on, on yes. the latter, the, the, not the former. There, there are people who will know the name of Neville Longbottom's parents and their extended family and his grandparents and particular words that you were used on like page 152 of Philosopher's Stone and then there's people that think oh it's a good story I like the movies yeah I'm a Hufflepuff and that's about it <laughs> which is probably very apt for a Hufflepuff but I've yet to have to yeah make a conscious decision to withhold from a game I really want to play or a product I really want to mm. purchase Whereas, as I said, you've you've sort of done that with. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. Activision Blizzard after the uh, the Blitzchung censorship banning from the the Hearthstone tournaments. I was going to say a year ago. It's probably two years ago, almost now. Given twenty twenty was a blur. Curious to find how that's going for you in some regards. Like, have you felt like there has been products they've released that you would have purchased? And you're now not, or is it kind of an easy piece of activism for you? And to use that term that you used before. Well, to dive into it, I think it's mainly, it's really just been the one game so far that I've wanted to play and haven't because of my disgust with Blizzard Activision, and that's World of Warcraft Classic. Because I was a big World of Warcraft fan. I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, and I've had a few friends who got into WoW Classic and seem to be having a good time and they're like, oh, you should come join us, Brendan, play WoW Classic with us. And 
I've been tempted, but ultimately I just don't feel comfortable giving them any more money. I've already given them enough money throughout the years and I still think it's one of the most despicable things that a private company has done in the last two, three years that actually banning someone for playing a game competitively because they made a statement on a live stream after they won a tournament is it's unheard of really in in our Western free society and it's just I still think it's outrageous and another game that recently was announced that I'd be tempted to play is Diablo 2 like I have fond memories of playing that at a friend's house I never owned, owned it myself I never did a full playthrough and I always kind of wanted to but I think for me personally I just don't particularly want to give them money and mm. I think in my view at the end of the day as well we all know how terrible I am at constantly buying games. After this podcast, I'll probably buy another two Switch games <laughs> that I'm thinking about buying because of good prices at the moment or I want to play them. But the fact is my backlog is insane. I have a multitude of games that if I want to play a game, I have plenty to choose from. And at the end of the day, if I want to play games, online games with friends, I can just convince them to play something else and they'll be amenable to that. So mm. it's one of those things that it's not really a hard thing to do, I don't believe. It's just, I guess I don't fall into that camp of, oh, I'm saying I'm boycotting something because I don't agree with the creator or the company or a range of things, but, oh, I wasn't going to buy their games anyway. Then that's just sort of hollow. Well, that's, it's a status quo. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so I, said, I haven't had to do it yet myself. There are a couple of examples coming up now. I think about it with our famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, Tencent uh, having their claws in more and more things. <laughs> and, yes. uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Pokemon fan. Pokemon Unite's coming out. Doesn't look particularly good anyway, Zach. Like, I think that's the kind of game I'll probably play for a good weekend and then stop anyway, because I'm not, I'm not a big MOBA guy anyway, but I, I definitely... Ignoring who's making it, if I if I just purely win on the basis that I want to, you know, it was a Pokemon MOBA, I, again, I don't think I play it that much anyway. But even probably more likely to catch my attention is, I, I believe, you know, Platinum Games are in, in bed with Tencent on a project. I don't know if that project has been formally announced yet as to what game it is. But that will be a decision I'm sure I'll have to make because I, I like Platinum stuff. It's good. It'll probably fall through like the time they were going to make, um, oh, what's that free to play game? Is it like the side games one? Yes, uh, Grand Blue Fantasy. Yeah, they were going to make Grand Blue Fantasy. Then they were in some random deal with like a Russian publisher to make a tank, get a free to play tank game or something. <laughs> and that fell through too. So who knows if the 10 cent thing goes anyway but sorry i digress what what, you were saying something oh i guess i'm saying like i'm I'm, this this it's stuff i'm thinking about but it's also coupled with i'm being honest uh no one's been able to articulate to me why i need to be overly against tencent beyond they're another megacorp which you know down with mega corporations and two they're chinese which is either one of two things it's either there's genuine concern over you know practices of um human rights in china or it's just general racism (laughs) against chinese and i think you'll find people on on both camps right like people with very valid concerns and others who are just just again not fans of people that don't look like them if i'm being blunt oh precisely and so it's hard for me to even know do i even want to boycott tencent at least 
I don't know. Like, I just haven't been presented with a with enough of an argument. I'm sure after this, a lot of people are going to ping me with good reasons too. But um, it's 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 one. It, it just I guess to me shows a lot of the time you got to really do the research because, and I kind of learned I don't really trust any one person at face value, even people I'm friends with to have all the facts. But then it can get quite hard to actually get the right facts <laughs> to make a call one way or the other, whether a company or a person is actually doing something I should be morally against versus uh, a lot of, as you said, you know, going back quite a while in the conversation, just hearsay and, and conjecture and, and sometimes just blatant speculation that is, is baseless other than, oh, it's a company in China, they must be doing something evil. <laughs> we've been discussing individuals and we've been discussing companies and just the last line you mentioned, companies in China, I think this goes on to another prevalent topic at the moment and that's the revelations that a lot of electronics manufactured in China are being produced by let's call it for what it is it's basically slave labor camps that are in part genocidal in that the Uyghurs that the Chinese government's locking up in camps and doing a whole manner of terrible things to them that they produce a lot of the components that go into your switches and your PS5s and your Xbox Ones and all manner of consumer electronics. And yet a lot of people are faced with a dilemma of, well, does that mean we should boycott all these consumer electronics and not buy them? Or should we buy them but actively campaign against the Chinese regime or or not necessarily actively campaign, but just keep on bringing it to light and making sure everyone's aware of what's going on and trying to enact change that way because i guess yeah we've been talking about this in the paradigm of well boycott or not to boycott but if we're thinking about all this as in essence political action against a particular company or individual or business industry practices and there are avenues that are sit outside of just a simple boycott yeah that's very true it's being vocal is important and demonstrating i think the issue that a lot of people bring up when you say oh i'm not going to boycott it but i will happily sign a petition or come to your protest or <laughs> tweet at them whatever it may be about the, the the topic is is money talks in some regards you know boycotts are rarely successful just purely by virtue of it's very hard to get the numbers up i find or not i find i think it's just it's just proven right like it's not so much morally a problem, but uh, I remember, was it? I think it was Modern Warfare Three. I think that everyone was going to boycott, and there was that infamous <laughs> <Yes>. Steam <laughs> group that's like not playing Modern Warfare Three, and then on the day of launch, everyone in that group was playing Modern Warfare Three. They just they're just hard to pull off, but notwithstanding, a successful one probably could have quite a lot of impact. Like if you genuinely manage to turn the tide and get seventy to eighty percent of customers to not buy something they would have otherwise on and say the reason we're not buying it is because again of these these issues whether they're as severe as what you just said like genuine slave labor and, and effective genocide i suppose or if it's even as as simple as going back to the crunch culture or whatever it may be people would listen um you would hope because you definitely notice that again with the much more light-hearted uh, reasons to not buy a game where it's just like a, a not a hyper high quality game but people still buy it. like pokemon's a 
a fantastic example where you know everyone was against Sword and Shield because it's it's just subpar in, in the eyes of many, but it's still now one of the best-selling Pokemon games and definitely hasn't incentivized the company to change their tactics, I suppose, going forward. So it's hard to say like how much does just protesting or finding other methods of raising the issue work versus something a bit more material that that hits again as i said bottom lines or of of the company um, or, or the country if we're talking again at, at that level exactly because like well in in the last example just a boycott is just a drop of water in a bucket really it's how, how can you challenge the supremacy of i guess global supply chains and the dominance of china in consumer electronics by just deciding oh i'm not going to buy any of those products you're not going to be able to make much of a difference i mean like as as you say the only way a boycott works is if you hit critical mass and even on a lower scale it's very hard to do that i think that's why a lot of people do resort to what's virtually internet lynch mobs of just getting enough people riled up and Mm. getting a lot of bad press that companies will cave because they don't want the bad press but which might work for your smaller video game developer or even larger publishers like Ubisoft where action like that got rid of some nasty people in that company. But whether that is effective on an even larger scale, I'm quite doubtful. But yeah, no, I think it's, you're right. Because I mean, from from what I've, I think we've all observed, if I'm being honest, again, take a step back from video games to, I guess, more broader political issues. I mean, it effectively takes a country's government to force a boycott in and of itself to be of any effect, right? Like, I mean, it's effectively what these these trade wars that are going on are mm. uh, between Australia and, and, again, China. If you don't have a government that's able to, I guess, dictate that level of stopping people spending money on a, on a from a place or from a company or whatever it may be, it just seems impossible almost, you know? If people want something, they're just going to buy it. Again, most people just don't know or don't care enough to research about anything they're buying as long as they feel good about it. So it's a, it's a tough one. I think we are seeing, we do, as you said, the lynch mobs and stuff, whether they're a crude tool or not, had some effect. We've definitely seen some change through not lack of sales, but definitely lack of negative online sentiment towards companies or people. So it's definitely worth consideration as to whether that's a more appropriate tool to use to affect the change we want to see in the world. To close off this discussion and to bring it back to our starting point, well, to answer the question of this episode, can we separate the artist from the art? I think mm. personally, I think it it's very much circumstantial. I think it very much depends on what we're talking about. I think it's not... There's no absolute to this discussion. Mm. I think it it very much depends on what the art is and what the artist has done or said or is it just a kooky person? Is it, yeah. is it allegations against them? Is it proven allegations against them? Are they convicted? Have they been convicted? Have they been charged mm. with anything? Have they been cleared by an investigation? Yeah. Is it purely they once said... They said something 10 years ago and 
now it's seen as, oh, that's a terrible thing to say, but 10 years ago was sort of... Or because I think I think about, well, the last week of media where we've had Dr. Seuss books be pulled from production because it's believed that parts of some of the six of his books had themes and topics and pictures and a whole plethora of things that are considered not to be up to the standards of current society and the expectations of current society. And I just think that, well, you need to take these works as they are in that Mm. they were produced in a time where someone who read it back in that time wouldn't have believed that, even if they were civil rights activists or quite progressive for their times, a lot of them would, wouldn't have necessarily seen anything wrong with it. So mm. I think it's very tricky when you get to that point of trying to retrospectively assign values to a Past previous words. time, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think quite a well-known example now, which I haven't seen firsthand, but have seen pictures of is uh Warner brothers, I believe put some pretty, I think good disclaimers in front of their old cartoons, basically being like, hey, this was made and created in a different time. We don't condone the things that happen in this cartoon, but we acknowledge that this is a thing we made and exists and we're not going to pretend like it doesn't. <laughs> and please watch it in context of of all that. Uh, and just, I'm paraphrasing. It's a lot more, uh, it's worded a lot better than that. But I, I think that's a very elegant solution to... Let's not pretend these products don't exist or these these games, movies, whatever it may be. Let's just own up to it. Hey, yeah, exactly. this is made in a time when we had slaves. Um, not to say we, there's no slaves in the world today, but, you know, when it was normal, quote-unquote, in America or England or whatever, we don't condone slavery. We don't condone uses of words that we used back then quite freely. But it happened, and this is real, and this was what life was like. I put my historian's mm. hat on briefly, which I love to put on, of course. I think there's a lot of pitfalls and dangers to sanitise history because you, it'll only take a couple of generations and we'll start to forget sort of where we came from and we'll think, oh, everything was rosy back in the day that all the major publications and all that, like, preached similar values to what we do now. There was nothing sort of controversial or nothing suspect and the people who believe that were on the fringes and sort of not recognized when that wasn't the case so i think you can you can skew perceptions and you can also i guess in a way you belittle the progress has been made you you try to argue that well it's always been like it has now where that's not the case Mm. we've come a far way yes it's yes it's a far way to go but i think you're minimising the fact that progress has been made. Mm, I agree. And one thing to try and wrap this all up, and I've been quite wishy-washy in most of this podcast, if I'm being honest, but I'm going to say something now that I think I'm pretty definitive on. It comes back to just literally the simple question, separating art from the artist, uh, game from the creators. And it comes to, I guess, just looking at the game or art, whatever it is, on a standalone basis, and is it good? And I think I'm willing to, in that sense, say, yeah, you can separate the art from the artist. <laughs> but quite quite honestly, I just think you can. Like, yeah. Well, I agree. Yeah. Like, acknowledging all the crunch that went into GTA 5. GTA 5 is a great game. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's undeniable. 
to take it to a more broader sense outside of games and quite famous, you know, I have come to terms with, I believe, a lot of the allegations about Michael Jackson. I believe he's done horrible things, partly due to his own mental health issues, but also that doesn't forgive him. I don't like him as a person anymore. I don't really want to support him. His music, fantastic. It, it just is. Like, it's just good music. I'm not going to pretend like Thriller or anything like that is bad now, because he was a bad, in my eyes now, not a great person. The, the songs are still good. And I, I'm willing to sort of, you know, admit to that. And if that makes me bad, that's fine. I, I'll accept that criticism from you. <laughs> I guess what I was trying to get at was I agree with you fully, but I think it what makes it interesting as a topic is that, well, would your opinion have changed if you had known at the time that the allegations of Michael Jackson had been made? Like when he was making Thriller, if that was well known and sort of it was coming out there, then I think his legacy would have been very much different. And I find that interesting in that if you find out things retrospectively about someone, it, it's sort of easy to say, yeah, I, I disagree with them. I I think they're terrible, but I like their output because sort of I've I've been listening to it for the last 20 years. But if you find out that, oh, this up-and-coming singer has done appalling things, you might be more willing to then say, oh, I'm not going to give his CD a pass or, oh, when it comes on radio, I'll change to another... Like, it sounds okay, but I'll just change to something else because I'm not really interested in it because it's a bit... Oh, I, I'm a bit uncomfortable with it. I I think mm. there's something there. Like, I, I... There's definitely something there, but also... It, it all relies on you having the context, right? Exactly, exactly. It's all about the context. Like, when we grew up listening to Michael Jackson, like, yes, there were some rumours floating around and the like, and there were allegations and the like, but it was still highly speculative and there was still that leeway there. Yeah. I get what you're saying. He was a bit of, yes, he was a bit of a creep maybe, but, like, he still has good music, whereas then it's, it sort of starts to snowball from that point. I get what you're saying, but I still reckon you can absolutely, like, as a say, if you're a professional mm. reviewer, professional critic, I still reckon you can, it's very hard, separate this, like, particularly if you're introduced to the thing, like, not knowing anything about mm. the allegations, right? Which is probably, when we think about games and all these issues we've talked about, is probably the majority of players. Yes. Like, you and I, most people that listen to this podcast, very in tune with all the plethora of controversies but most people have no idea they wouldn't have known anything went awry at ubisoft last year they're just like "Ooh, this year's assassin's creed's app and like Ooh, has vikings fun yeah exactly and, and there's nothing you know that, oh, there's, again, there's nothing that, wrong that's with legitimate that. yeah i was going to bring up an example of it's like if you went into an art gallery and you saw one of the most beautiful artworks you've ever seen in your life and you're like oh i'm emotionally touched by this and then someone walks by and say, oh, you know that a war criminal painted that. Yes, your opinion might change, but you're still being like, well, terrible person, but fantastic piece of art. Like, how do you how, how do you wrap your mind around that? I think, yes, that's an extreme yeah. example, of course, that I've just plucked out of my imagination. But I think it does go to the fact that, that at the end of the day, most people will separate the art from the artist. But I think... There's definitely something there, and it's it's the reason why it always pops up. It's why it's yeah. a constant discussion. 100%. And 
it's almost two separate discussions in in a way, or it can be. It's first of like, is the product, art, game, whatever it is, good? Yes or no? Secondly, even if it is good, do I want to support the creator by purchasing it, spreading the word of how good it is as a standalone product? And the answer may be to that, no. It may be like, yes, I love Sonic the Hedgehog 3. No, I'm not going to tell people to listen to the soundtrack on Spotify because of, you know, not wanting to say support Michael Jackson, for example, which seemingly Sega doesn't want to either because bloody they haven't released Sonic the Hedgehog 3 on (laughs) any compilation for over a decade, I think. And we're still waiting for Michael Jackson Moonwalker to make a miraculous resurgence. Yeah, reappearance, um, other than playing in the occasional arcade bar in like Sydney or something. But yeah, I mean, I think I kept this part of the conversation to the end because because I, I is a pretty quick one so as i said I'm, I'm i am still pretty firm in the belief you can acknowledge a piece of work to be fantastic um in its field while also acknowledging that the people or person or whatever it may be that created it is bad and does not deserve the attention they, they can coexist those opinions is, is my view oh exactly like in my example with Act- Blizzard Activision, I I accept the fact that Blizzard makes some fantastic games and that Activision occasionally publishes good games, like a lot of it's just your Call of Duties and the like, but and sports games. But yeah, they, they, they make good games. But I think at the end of the day, my view is, well, I feel strongly about this particular issue and I just don't want to give them money. Yes, it's not going to make any difference at the end of the day, but mm. that's how I feel. And I think ultimately, I think... What I've been trying to say throughout the last hour and a half is that at the end of the day, I think it should just be a personal choice. If you, in particular instances, if you want to attach the art to the artist and do so, like don't enjoy the output, don't support the output, don't give anyone any money. You, you're not forced to. We live in a consumer culture. You can decide to put your money elsewhere, I think. But at the end of the day, I think it becomes very fraught and becomes very murky when you try to use it as a building block and a jump jumping off point to make some sort of mass movement to propagate your ideas. Like you might be successful, but you might quickly fall into murky waters. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. It's a conversation that's not going to stop. It's going to continually be present. I think it is a good conversation to have. I think we just need to have it in a measured way, the way that, we try to do on this podcast, I think, uh, and oh, hopefully other people will now after listening to this. I think jumping to the very angry, very extreme views does no one any good because I think, as you said way earlier in the podcast, it will just be seen as being coercive, aggressive, rather than trying to maybe explain to someone like, hey, I know that this is a great game, but you are sub- – or, you know – this is a great product, but you're supporting XYZ by funding it. Just want to make sure you understand that when you're making that decision. And now I'll let you go about your day and make the call for yourself as to whether that's something you want to keep supporting. I think the more of that very chill approach would be welcome. And hopefully, you know, allow people just to be more educated around what they're buying rather than you know, immediately dismiss the crazy person who's yelling at them and they don't know why they're yelling at them for playing their game where they're a wizard in a magical school. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But either way, you know, after this, you may think Brendan and I are horrible people and want to 
stop supporting blowing cartridges. But you can't say it's bad a bad podcast. You have to admit it's great. Even if you hate us now, you have to think this is a fantastic product and you should give us a five-star review. I accept I'm a horrible person, but really the podcast is fantastic. You should separate the terrible people from the work of art this podcast is. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, leave some comments, tell your friends about us, our podcast, listen to all the old episodes, listen to episode 13, which I'm pretty sure is cursed, and you'll end up in some sort of Bermuda Triangle situation if you listen to it, but definitely support us. Keep on listening to us, and we're back, baby. Always tune in. Follow me at, at Tamazoid on Twitter. Follow Zach at, at Eggerino on Twitter. And just give us all the love and support that you want to give us. Yeah, at Blowcut Pod on the social media, both Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and a quick shout-out, two weeks roughly after you or well, before you're listening to this, uh, I guest appeared on a in a different podcast, the House of Mario Encore from Drew, who's been on the show before. Friend of the show, yes. And it was a very blowing cartridge-esque like episode with the with the topic being Pokemon, uh, for Pokemon's twenty fifth anniversary, which is just past at the time of recording. So if you want to see what the podcast is like without Brendan, uh, and with Drew instead <laughs> Give it a listen. It's also got video, so if you want to see my face and not have to pay for my OnlyFans subscription, you can see it there. I am wearing clothes, though, because, you know, I can't give that for free, uh, and YouTube wouldn't allow it. Well, I support a boycott of blowing cartridges now. <laughs> this is immoral content. Immoral, uh, corrupting the minds and souls of our children. That's accurate, but at least it's corrupting them in the right direction which is towards me, the direction we should all be moving towards. All hail, Zach. I waved. No one can see me wave. We have no video, Zach. Damn it. We haven't invested in the 4K cameras yet. You were supposed to buy them. Where are they? Look, we lost the ad revenue for like two months. There is no ad revenue. (laughs) Well, look, they don't have to know that. (laughs) They don't have to know that we're just struggling to get by. Anyway, cut it off. End it. (laughs)